So good to see you again. We, we are thankful to God for an opportunity to be in worship today. Amen. Anybody else grateful to be here? Amen. Amen. Show, show the king some love today. I remember some Sundays when I couldn't make it to church because I was recovering from Saturday night. But, but that's just me. Amen. Amen. So every opportunity we get to give the Lord praise, particularly when his will is being manifest in our lives, we should do so. Amen. I'm just a big believer in praise and gratitude. Uh, our scripture today is lifted from uh, a vast amount of scripture that covers uh, what we would call the rejection of Jesus Christ. And we have the benefit of the holy word we have the benefit of the holy spirit and yet for some strange reason it's not really that strange uh, people continue to reject him so we want to spend some time today before we get to the jubilance of the resurrection and disassemble that whole rejection motif for those of you who are bible scholars the breadth of the text will be from matthew 21 verse 1 all the way to chapter 22 and verse 14. We're not going to read all that, um, but there's a portion of scripture that I do want to read aloud where Jesus makes reference to the prophecies of the Old Testament. And if you would turn there, Matthew 21, verse 42 and through 45, we will read that together. I'm a firm believer in reading it for yourself. Sometimes things get lost in translation, and I want to make sure that we're on the same page. So can I hear some amens when you have it? All right. Okay. So this is what the scripture says, and you can read it from the screen. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. So as I've mentioned before, Matthew's just a fascinating book. And the theme of Matthew, every gospel has a theme. Mark talks about service and servanthood. John talks about Jesus as deity. He's all God and all man simultaneously. And Matthew's emphasis is on kingship, Jesus' kingship, not ours, amen? And certainly uh, we want to lean into that because in the week that we're about to embark on, it's all about acknowledging kingship. But again, for the Bible scholars, five major movements take place in Matthew. Uh, the first movement is the revelation of the king through the birth narrative of how does Jesus come to be here, his person, his principles, and his power. And the, the 
theme that's being declared then is that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, much the same message that we share with people inside and out of the church today. The second movement is the rebellion against the king. His messenger is rejected, his works are denied, his principles are refused, and his person is attacked. What you say, they actually would attack Jesus? But yes, they do. And that's when the mysteries of the kingdom come into effect. Everybody's noising around that Jesus has come and he is the Messiah. But Jesus asked him to put that on the low because he doesn't want to invite any further resistance to his message and his ministry. The retirement of the king is another major emphasis where the revelation of God becomes restrictive. Only certain people will be made aware of what he has come to do. And in that, he spends more time with his disciples and with his father. And this is the first mention of the cross uh, before Peter's confession. Then there's a second meet, mention of the cross after Peter's confession. And then finally, there's a third mention of the cross in chapter 20. Jesus is making it very obvious how God is going to work this out for the good of all of us. And then our emphasis today is in uh, chapters 21 through 27, the rejection of the king. The kingdom of God will be taken from you. And certainly that has an intertestamental echo when we hear the uh, encouragement to seek the Lord while he may be found. And that kind of gives us an understanding that the shelf life of the invitation is first of all in effect and we have to make full use of the opportunity while we can. Amen? So the major points in what's happening in the portion of scripture we're dealing with is the triumphal entry, his public presentation as king. They've come out from hiding and being reserved and making it very plain who Jesus is, and that invites conflict from the rulers. And then he gives this prophetic message that since you don't want to act right, I'll extend the invitation to somebody else, and it concludes with his suffering and his death. So this is the only time in Jesus' ministry that he plans and promotes going public with his message. First, there is a critical mass of approximately 2 million people present in Jerusalem. That's a lot of folks. And so he wants to make sure that the first thing we understand is that the invitation no longer is restrictive to this, those close in his company, but to everyone will hear it and that will accept it. It's also Passover time, which is a significant worship time and celebration in the Jewish culture. And it has theological parallel to the history of the nation, tied to not only past events, but current events. And lastly, it is a fulfillment of the ancient prophecy recorded in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. The first thing we need to understand about that is that the description that the prophet gives can only apply to Jesus. There, there have been many kings in the history of the nation of Israel, but he alone is able to satisfy all the criteria that proves he is Israel's true king. David was great, but Jesus is greater. 
Saul was was cool till he lost his mind. But but Jesus is always of a sober and a right mind. He is the only one who will fulfill all God's intentionality for his kingdom. But the short-sightedness of the leaders and the rulers, along with their spiritual blindness, has led Israel astray. And I want us to understand today that when we lead people astray, nothing breaks God's heart more. We've got to tell people the truth about how we derive our sustenance, how we function. It is all by the grace of God. It's not what's in our brain pan. It's not by virtue of our intellect. It's not even populated by our good intentions. The chief reason we function as we do in his service is because of his grace. You stop fooling yourself. It's not because you've been so good. The Bible lets me know that I've had some naughty days. Some of us still have some naughty days. I can prove it to you. Let somebody cut you off in traffic. I guarantee you, you don't roll down your window and say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And so our naughtiness persists. And so we have to persist in making sure that we are legitimate representatives of the kingdom and the king. And, 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 and along with leading people astray, we will cause people to miss the promised salvation and deliverance. Up until this time, Jesus has kept his identity and mission restricted and has avoided public acclaim because of the numerous threats to undermine and, present and prevent the necessary work of Calvary. Some would suggest his entry on the foal of a donkey is representative of his humility. I won't argue that because Jesus is humble. But what's more important, the donkey is actually the royal animal of the Jewish monarchy. When Saul is proclaimed king, he's riding a donkey. When Jesus come, uh, when David comes to the throne, he's on a donkey. And sometimes our Western sensibility corrupts the authentic witness of the biblical text. He doesn't have to come in on a horse to be the king. He comes in the actual animal that is designated as the royal animal. That should have been their first clue. But also, when we compare the Matthew account with the prophecy of Zechariah, we see clearly the strategic intention and importance of Jesus coming in just such a manner. Zechariah says, rejoice greatly. But Matthew omits this phrase because later on he'll record that Hosanna chorus. Jesus is indeed coming in anticipation of triumph, but it will not be what the masses anticipate. There's a story within the story. They have been hungry for Jesus for a long time. Being under the boot heel and oppression of Rome, they are anticipating salvation but only in earthly terms. Jesus has come to satisfy what is necessary to deliver all of us from the oppression and slavery of a greater oppressor, sin. And in so doing, he will save us from the penalty of our fallenness and brokenness. He is coming not only as a conquering king in the eternal realm, 
but also as the only appropriate ransom for and security of our deliverance from sin and death. Somebody say hallelujah. I know you think you can dig yourself out, but you can't. I know you think that on occasion with your good deeds and your periodic thoughtfulness that you can rescue somebody, but let me clear that up. You can't deliver yourself, let alone somebody else. Man, he's being hard on us. I want you to have a real grasp of what Jesus comes to do, that thing that we are unable to do for ourselves. Anybody depending on Jesus this morning? I am. It's in him that I live, move, and have my very existence. Without Jesus, there is no me. And if there is a me, it ain't a very good me. It's a naughty me. And so Jesus drops hints all along the way. The signs are evident. But remember that the rulers are spiritually blind and short-sighted. And we need to appreciate that the time, this time described in the text, Jesus does not come in his full judgment identity. That's later on down the road when he comes again. And don't fool yourself, he is coming back. I'm depending on that. I'd hate for this to be all there is. Racism, oppression, sexism, gender confusion. You name it, this cannot be the kingdom of God. And I need Jesus to come on back and do what only he can do to restore us to rightful place in his kingdom. This time Jesus' heart is torn because he knows the consequences of Israel's rejection of him. And they know that they have rejected his message. And as he grieves for all who would rather reject than escape, than accept, and not just 2,000 years ago, but even today, we have people when confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ will opt out and say, no, thank you. But again, we should be grieved when they do that because they're missing out on the promised deliverance. His, his coming this time described in the text is an act of mercy and grace. But the next time he comes, he will ride in on great power and glory, and judgment will be the contents of that interaction. Even believers will be in that line. And, it, and your eternal disposition is based on whether you have accepted him or rejected him. And he does two very interesting things that, while symbolic, are profound. The first thing he does is he cleanses the temple. What? What? He got to clean up the church. Judgment begins at the house of prayer because not everybody in here is saying saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. Not everybody in here is working God's agenda. Just just watch long enough and the spirit will reveal the authentic from the fraud. Oh, Jesus. And then on the heels of that, he curses a fig tree. Let me unpack that for you. In cleansing the temple, he exposes the hypocrisy of the works being done in his father's name. And we clean up nice most of the time. We, we say praise the Lord in the right places and 
thank you, Jesus. But it's one thing to pay service to him with our mouth. It's a very different thing when it comes to carrying out in our day-to-day behavior. Amen? City life is unique because we let the people, we, we, we invite the people from the streets to come in and sup with us and be among us in our worship environment. We extend an embrace and not a, not today, come back another day. They're, they're a part of this fellowship. At, they're just yet to be. And instead of shying away from that, we should lean aggressively into that because we know that God is capable of cleaning up lives and straightening out situations. And we ought to be thankful that we have an opportunity to serve in that capacity. Jesus declares you have taken whose house? My house, his house. You have taken my house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, and have made it a den of thieves. Wow. Wow. When you really investigate what's going on in the temple behavior, you'll see that Israel's religious leaders have sold out the gospel for money, and and not just regular money, they're involved in loan sharking. The Bible word for that is usury, but that's what it means. Unfair and exorbitant prices to buy things that the text have declared is free. When the last time you paid for a blessing? You don't. They're free. They come out of the abundance and heart and grace of God. What, what would you be willing to pay for your salvation? Whatever it is, it's not enough. And so, again, they're, they're, when we try to inflect, uh, when we try to in, mm, man, my brain's going, and antihistamines got me. Um, impose there, there you go. A little help from the audience over there. Uh, but, 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 but the 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 imposition of unfair practices and criteria that the Bible have not declared. We we put ourselves in the same position as the Pharisees. Well, you want to join this church, you got to do this. And if you want to be on this board, you got to do that. And I'm not against criteria. Just make sure they're godly criteria. If God have not said they need to do it, neither should we. Amen? I'm talking about anybody. Okay? We must be careful to be authentic in our witness as his church. And our service ought to reflect that because there is indeed consequence for misrepresenting his divine purpose. Somebody say with me, it's a shame what we do in his name. Church folk, allegedly saved and sanctified folk, and then we'll do ungodly thing and impose, thank you, ungodly criteria. We have to be careful. Amen. <laughs> Mother says, for the young believers. And, and in the second interaction with the fig tree lets us know that he has the same power to give life and to take it. And a lot of times, that's the popular message, Jesus gives life. But if we continue to resist and uh, reject him, eventually the offer will be rescinded. I don't know about you, but I'm... I'm glad I got in on it while it, the getting was good. The Bible says, call upon his name while he is near. How much closer can these people get to Jesus 
and yet they still reject him. When we see evidence of God moving in our lives and somebody else's life, we ought to draw near to that activity rather than pulling back from it. When I see you blessed, I'm right there. I'm glad you blessed, sister, and can I get some too? Because I know that God is not a respecter of person. When he blesses me, guess what he what else he does? He blesses my neighbor too. And the reason we have the poor among us and the hungry and the naked is not because God have have held back on grace. It, it just have got stuck in us. It don't go any further than our address. It doesn't go any further than our driveway. And God said, you, you got to back away from that. If you are blessed, your primary goal is to be a blessing. I know that ain't popular. But, but when Jesus encounters this fig tree, he's disappointed. And this is not a moral judgment that he makes on a plant, but it represents Israel and some of us. Just as this tree has leaves but no fruit, so has the nation failed to do anything beyond the shallow representation of religious faith. There is no evidence of practical wisdom that results in godly living. We would do well to take this lesson to heart because the Bible declares that the just shall live by faith. James said it don't do me any good to tell those that are stricken to be warmed and filled I'm the one responsible for warming them and filling them. I am Jesus' arms and feet and voice whenever I encounter somebody that I recognize is in a want or a needful condition. And the king's judgment has been announced and will come into full effect because 40 years from what's described in the text, Rome will heighten the oppression to the point where They'll destroy the temple, and they'll scatter all the people. My God. And then Jesus continues his teaching by sharing three parables with them then and us today. The first parable uh, is, is ushered into existence because the rulers, even after hearing what, sawing what he just did, are still resisting, and they have, the, they have the gall to approach Jesus and ask him where his authority comes from. Say, who, who put you in charge, Jesus? Man, it's a good thing I'm not Jesus, because I'd have had a conversation about that. I said, didn't you just see me ride in on this donkey? D didn't you just hear what the scriptures have said about what I look like when I come? How, wh what else do I need to show you? But, but aren't you glad that's not Jesus' response when we do that? Confront him and go like, well, you know, you gave me this life. <laughs> it's his life. It's his life that he has entrusted to us to represent to everybody that's currently within and outside the umbrella of grace and mercy. And technically, you know, they're, they're the rulers. They have a right to ask. But their ignorance reveals their arrogance. The fact that you in charge of stuff and don't know, that's calamity. 
you you supposed to know some stuff. If 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 you the boss, how many of you serve in supervisory positions? Okay. The effect of your mission is not so much on what the employees know and don't know. It's what you know and don't know. And then your job is to educate and empower them so that they can function with less supervision. That's the, they get that, we get that economy from God. God, like, it's a whole bunch of y'all running around there on earth. Why is it in the shape that it's in when I've entrusted you to make sure that my will and my message is known. There is no us and them. There's him and us. There's him and us. And some of us need to repent from our naughtiness and get busy in kingdom service. Wow, I didn't know I was going to get beat up today. Ah, you ain't getting beat up. I'm just telling you the real. Amen. Three years our Lord has been preaching, teaching, and performing great works, yet they still refuse. You ever heard it saying, they are none so blind as those who will not see. Open your eyes, somebody. We should not be surprised that the Bible tells us that the things of the Spirit can only be revealed by the Spirit. They don't know it because they don't have it. They can't see it because they don't have it. God is not giving you a playbook and no training. God is not sending you on a mission without a map. God is not empowering and entrusting without some education. He's given us his holy word. He's given us his Holy Spirit so we might read the scripture correctly. And then he's given us his Holy Spirit so we can rightfully apply it. Wow. I think he just took care of all of our excuses. I love that about God. I will be left without excuse. So here's what the parables say. In the first parable... They're going to reject the father. The vineyard is, of course, the nation of Israel. And the two sons that are in the text are the two kinds of people that are in Israel. The first group is the self-righteous religious people. Maybe you bumped into them on occasion. They know everything except how to serve God. They know what time the meeting starts. But they don't know the method and the message of the meeting. They can mumble some stuff, but, but, but to get to the actual theological correctness of what we have been called to do, they don't never get around that. Some people just like to have meetings for the sake of meetings. Yeah. And so there's the self-righteous group. And then there's a second group, the group I'm in, the publicans and the sinners. Wait a minute, that didn't sound too good. But that's who I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And when I forget that, I start drifting toward self-righteous religious. I get to constantly remind myself that I'm jacked up without the grace of God. That I will do wrong if I don't follow his instruction. That I will act in contradiction and contrary to his purpose when I don't commit to the kingdom mandate. I have the Holy Spirit, and I depend on it to show me what I need to be doing. I got a boss at work. 
but I make sure that they understand that I'm only obligated as much as the Lord will permit. Okay, I can't do everything they think I should do because some of it does not resonate of kingdom. It resonates of fallenness and brokenness. So first they reject. Okay, when John first comes ministering, telling that Jesus is coming, the religious people showed great interest, but they would not humble themselves and repent and be baptized. The non-religious people heard the same message. They were convicted, confessed their sin, obeyed John's word, and were baptized into the faith. That's why I'm glad to be a publican and a sinner. Mm-mm-mm. The religious leaders should have concluded after seeing what was happening with my group, they too stood in the need of salvation and deliverance. That's my witness at my job when I asked them about the integrity of a decision and how that coincides or uh, shows kingdom versus some academic policy or some, uh, some business model. Not against models, they just need to be in alignment with kingdom activity. In the second one, they reject the son, and it's all about the banquet. In that parable, Jesus reminds them of God's deliverance from Egypt into a land of milk and honey. You, you, you're where you are right now. Yeah, you're under the boot heel of Rome, but you still have your own cultural identity that's permitted by the emperor. They're not wiping you out. You ought to be thankful for that. That he reminds them that he supplies all their earthly needs and that he has sent the prophets to check on their growth and to keep them aware of their duty to God. That, that's my job. That's why I'm preaching this morning, to keep us aware of our duty to God. But here's the response of the religious leaders and some of the people. They mistreat and even kill God's servants. God responds not by wiping them out like I would have done. He always maintains a remnant. Instead, he sends his own son when they've killed all his prophets. And then the son is rejected and will eventually be killed. And he's been called everything but the son of God. Son of David, not son of God. He who should have been richly received and honored is humiliated, disrespected, and put to death as a common criminal. Wow. Wow. And in case you didn't notice, if you read your scripture, that, that's our lot in life, to be humiliated, disrespected, and put to death as common credible criminals but for the grace of God. In the third parable that he presents, they reject the Holy Spirit. That's three out of three, y'all. Rejecting the Father, rejecting the Son, and rejecting the Holy Spirit. That's the trifecta of stupidity. Jesus clearly identifies not only the relationship between the Father and the Son, but also the activity of the Holy Spirit in reaching out to the nation of Israel and then extending that invitation beyond Israel to whoever will accept it. This is going to be the problem in the book of Acts. Some Jewish people don't want other people to be in the family. You got families like that? 
yeah, I know you don't want to identify, but you know you do. That 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 weird uncle, that one that always shows up drunk, you know, the one that talks to himself. But Jesus extends the invitation to everybody. And eventually, this is what Paul will say, if you resist the Holy Spirit long enough, he'll just stop talking to you. And that's absolutely the worst thing that can happen to us is we break fellowship. Matter of fact, it's described as the unpardonable sin, to break fellowship. And in the first seven books of Acts, when that uh, Pentecostal movement is taking place, every man and woman present hears in their own language. Aren't you grateful to a God that speaks your language? Aren't you grateful to a God that puts it in terms that you can understand? That even a child can hear the word of God and resonate with the validity and truth of what they're hearing. You don't have to beg a child to acknowledge their father. They come built that way. It's when we become fathers that we mess it up. We have to be very careful in our activities and behavior. So what should be our takeaway today? I'm glad you asked. I'm so glad. First thing I want you all to understand is the good news of the gospel. God loves you with your funny acting ways and your, your, your occasional naughtiness with your lack of respect. And I'm, I'm talking about me. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Okay. Now, you, you step in where, where you fit in, but, but I'm telling you right now that, that I need him every day. And I'm reminded that he dies for me. Jesus never did drugs, but he died for me. Je I don't see evidence in the text where Jesus was ever drunk, but he died for drunks. Never saw evidence where Jesus slept around, but he died for those that did. I'm trying to get us to understand that this is God's love for us, that Jesus marches into the city of our hearts, the Jerusalem in our chest, and has a right to claim kingship. Lord of my life. Everybody wants to know him in the power of the resurrection. Very few want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. But that's the job description. We have been called to suffer, to be grieved like he was grieved, to be moved like he was moved and to function on his behalf every opportunity we get. God, God loves us. John says he so loves us that he sent his only begotten son and that whosoever believes in him shall be saved and have eternal life. I'm banking on that. I, I'm, I, want, that, I want that offer. Amen. I, I don't want to end up like I'm banking on that. Second, God desires that all would be saved. What? You mean even my strange acting cousin? Yep. Him or her too. What? You mean the one that, that's out there on the street? Yep. You got to understand that when God says all, he means all. Why does God want everybody to be saved? Because everybody is lost. Okay? I, I can prove it to you. 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God ain't just picking out folks to be blessed. Well, I'm going to bless these people over here, and y'all got to wait. God don't operate that way, okay? The holdup is when the people on this side don't want to share their blessings. Mm, or the people on this side, okay? We have been blessed to be conduits of God's love, not cisterns. You know what a cistern is? That's a pool of non-running water, and all it does is foster decay. You, you are blessed so that you can be a blessing. God is desiring that all be saved. Third, God is saying to us today, hear his voice. How I know that? It says that in the day that you hear his voice, harden not your hearts, but submit in repentance for the great resurrection event promised to all believers. Don't sound like a bad deal to be in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Don't sound like a bad deal to acknowledge that I don't always measure up. Don't sound like a bad deal when I consider the treasure that he has stored up for me in heaven. Actually, it sounds like a pretty good deal. Because I didn't pay for my salvation, Jesus did. I, I, I don't have to have funds in the bank for Jesus to write me a check so that I can pay my mortgage and eat my groceries. It's free. And because we have been freely given, we are to freely give. That's the story within this story. And if you're here today and you are not sure or you know for a fact that you're not in God's good grace, I want you to consider just a couple of things. First thing is he'll take you back. I don't care where you've been, what you did, he'll take you back. Thank you for that, because that is a good offer, okay? He'll take you back. And maybe you're already in the fellowship of faith, but you might not be where you ought to be. That's between you and the Holy Ghost. But take a moment to pray. Do it right now before we go into the communion. And say, Lord, am I supposed to be, am I where I'm supposed to be? And if not, Will you meet, meet me where I am and bring me to where you would have me to be? I guarantee you, just like he comes into Jerusalem, he'll come into your heart. Lord, I got some things need to be straightened out. Don't be embarrassed. You got to tell us. He already knows, so get it taken care of. And then go away from this place today, endeavoring to live an authentic witness for Jesus Christ. That's why he comes in triumph. Not to triumph over Rome, but to triumph over our rejections. Amen, somebody. Oh, y'all didn't say that like you meant. Any saved folks in here? Amen. Anybody glad that he didn't leave you where he found you? Anybody glad that he took it upon himself to bring you out? You, you weren't looking for Jesus, but he was looking for you. And I imagine that I was on a milk carton in heaven. Have you seen 
this man. Remind him that I love him. Remind him that I'll take him back. Remind him that I will restore fellowship with him if he'll just change his mind. Because if he changes his mind, I'll change his direction. And when I change his direction, I'll change his outcome. Because he was headed for sin, trespass, and death. But he's on his way to life. Amen. Amen. Amen.